step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and boy, these Nashville Predators, winners of 13 of their last 16 games, they are on fire right now. They're getting quality wins over multiple opponents, and it has just been exciting to see, one, and two, seeing so much of the youth, Glenn, just participating and not just participating or contributing, but taking charge and making huge plays in these games to where they're not just a passenger and taking up a roster spot. They are absolutely taking control and contributing in major ways to this team. Yep, absolutely. I think what I love so much of what we're seeing lately winning, you know, 13 of the last 16 is the contributions from all over. Everybody, for the most part, is out there making a case for themselves to keep their ice time. Um, When you look at the game against Tampa last night, seven goals, 11 players had points in that game. So you had Colton Sism scoring, you had Roman Yossi, Victor Arvidsson scoring twice, once with that crazy stretch pass across the ice from Yossi, Um, Rocco Grimaldi, Tanner Janot, Michael Grenland. It's just it's so wild to me because what you worry about as a fan when you're watching these games is when you have a star player, right? You have a star player and then you have someone else who they're just, they're killing it night after night after night. And, and the team depends on them to kill it night after night after night, but that's not sustainable. What is sustainable is overall contributions from most everyone on the ice. And that's what we've continued to get from the national predators. It, it absolutely is. And so what's what's been nice, too, is, I mean, Rem Pitlick is having his coming out party now as well, because some of the, the, the slick pass that he made to Colton Sissons on that breakout, it was a beautiful, beautiful breakout. Rem Pitlick didn't only get his first angel point, he got a second angel point in the same game, contributing there. Jakob Trenin contributing. So depth scoring is important, too. And, yes, I want to temper the excitement a little bit because for some odd reason, the Tampa Bay Lightning started Curtis McElhaney. I have no idea why they would do that. The only games that McElhaney should have been playing for the rest of the season for Tampa would be against Columbus and Detroit. That's it. And because obviously I think it was Mark Lazarus of the athletic. Yeah. Who tweeted out (laughs) Chicago fans watching Tampa start McElhaney versus Nashville. (laughs) Ah, Come on. Uh, Because it's, it's, it's a completely different team when Vasilevsky's in there compared to McElhaney. And the good part, here's the good thing too. So it's not trying to take away from the win. It's that the Predators did exactly what they're supposed to do to a backup goalie of Curtis McElhaney's caliber. They blew him up. And that's what you're supposed to do. They came out with the same effort and then some that they had against Tampa and their loss to Tampa on Saturday against Vasilevsky where it looked like they should have had plenty of goals if there were almost any other goalie out there. They didn't. 
they didn't let up. They repeated the effort and added to that and built on any momentum that they were having. That's what you want to see out of this team that's full of young guys, full of guys that are trying to prove themselves, that they didn't just go out and repeat the effort they built upon that, and they didn't let up. They ran up the score. And it's one of those things that was confidence building in a way that you can only do when you're beating the defending champions. And they don't care if they play the backup goal. They got a huge win over the defending Stanley Cup champion and one of the top teams, not just in the league, but in the division, not just in the division, but in the league. And so I don't want to take away from that victory or what they did, but they did exactly what they're supposed to do, which is trounce and just keep on attacking your the backup goaltender when they smelled blood and sensed that out there. They just took it and ran with it like a predator. I mean, I know yeah. that's, a, that's a cliche analogy, <laughs> but they did what they're supposed to do when a team is on a roll like this. The natural predators are on a roll. The next big question is going to be Carolina and what they can do there because it's the only team in the division they have not gotten a win against. They have um, overtime loss to Carolina, but they need to get over that hump and at least split this series. We're going to talk with Wade Minter later in the show, uh, who's the PA announcer for the Carolina Hurricanes about that. But that's what's impressed me overall, Glenn, is just the way that they're continuing to have these good efforts night in and night out. Yeah. And especially when you look at the previous game against Tampa, when, like you said, I mean, yeah, you got completely blanked, but when you look at the game overall as a whole, the Nashville Predators, it's not that they did not play a very, very solid game. Like you said, if it was someone else in net, that would have probably been a different outcome. Um, so you'd like to see the continued effort. Love to see them taking advantage of opportunities that they're given and that opportunity with someone else in net last night. Um, obviously, they took advantage of that and they made it count. Um, so, yeah, just overall, I'm just I'm, I'm with you. I'm not trying to just blow this out of proportion. But the reality is there are a lot of contributions from a lot of different players, and that's what you want to see. Um, they are playing with a lot more confidence than we had seen them play over the last couple of months, and that is huge. The mental game is very, very important, as the physical game is. So overall, I'm just very pleased, and I think that if they can take that confidence and take that mindset of taking advantage of every opportunity they're given – if they can do that against a Carolina team who, yeah, they're difficult to play against, but they're not without flaws. Every team is. So if they make a minor mistake, if the Nashville Predators can be quick on their feet and react to that, respond to that properly, I mean, they can put up, they can put up a pretty good fight. And so speaking of putting up something really good and about vibing, because this team is vibing, <laughs> Tanner Janot. <laughs> is vibing in a completely different way. Not only did he get his first NHL goal by potting in that rebound attempt off a of Jakob Trenin shot, the dude is just jacking people up. I mean, <laughs> he is out there. And what I like about Tanner Janot is that it's controlled physicality. He is not being careless with what he's doing, like Michael McCarron was careless with that hit on Yanni Gord, which ended up and resulted in a two-game suspension. Yeah. yeah. And right now, there is no reason why you put Michael McCarron in over Tanner Janot. Tanner Janot showing that, again, he belongs in that bottom six because he's a physical player. He's a power forward type of player. He has an offensive upside. He, there's a reason why he had a goal-scoring streak in the AHL of eight games because mm -hmm. he has an offensive upside. And obviously, yeah. as an undrafted guy, has plenty to prove and to earn his way up there. But, I mean, the last night's game, five hits. And the game against yeah. Dallas was four or five hits as well. Dude is lighting people up. And it's the kind of thing, too, yeah. where these are clean body checks to where you've had a couple of veterans come in, skate on him, try to lay their own hit. And what does he do? Blows them up and makes them go heels overhead. And that has been exciting to watch just as a hockey fan in general, that they're clean hits, too. These are good, hard, clean hits 
Sometimes those result in injuries, unfortunately, but these are clean hits. These are legal hits that Tanner Janot is laying out there and he's just blowing guys up with the body. Yeah. That's, that's what, to me, that changes the mentality. It changes the vibe. It changes the energy that you build off of as a team. When you see a guy out there that is destroying guys in the ice, because it creates more room and space and opportunity and energy flow for the rest of the lineup. When you can have a good bottom six go out there and take something away from the, the opposition like that by being physical, it creates a way more space for your top scoring guys to go out there and, and to produce. And Tanner Janot is just laying the body and also producing too. And it's only three NHL games, and it's it's two right now where he's making major contributions, but he's earning his ice time as well. 1141. That's not bad for a guy that's only in his third NHL game. He only had six something in his first one. And then delay five what he's hits. Done in yeah. His three. Yeah. yeah, look what he's done. He has his first goal. He's laying out hits. He's becoming a quick fan favorite. And it's one of those things that they're continuously putting guys in at that third and fourth line now, but especially that fourth line with Colton Sissons, Yakov Trenin, when he's playing with them, that they are playing with so much great energy that the team feeds off of it. The crowd mm-hmm. feeds off of it. The fans at home feed off of it, that they're playing guys that are responsible as well. And that's what that fourth line has overall been. They've been responsible aside from when Michael McCarron went out there, but Colton Sisson has been pretty responsible overall with a lot of weight on his shoulders of what he needs to do. Yakov Trenin's playing responsible hockey and also can light up guys. But that's, that's what I'm liking is, is that right there out of Tanner Janot plus that the rest of the fourth line and the bottom six overall. Yeah. I think that Tanner Janot is the perfect example of when people say that teams are incredibly difficult to play against, his style of play is what they're talking about. I mean, he has that ability to wear out opposing players, whether it's getting in on the forecheck, hitting like he does. I mean, that hit on Klingberg at Dallas's game on Sunday. I mean, it's, it's that kind of stuff. And like, just like you said, it's their legal hits. He's doing it responsibly and that's benefiting his team. Whereas, you know, he's not, I mean, it's three games. Yeah. I'm sure at some point he's going to make a mistake. Everybody does. But in these three games, he's showing that he plays a very hard, solid, physical, clean game. And that that wears out the opposing team every time. And now the big question is going to be is what happens when people get healthy? What happens when, mm-hmm. you know, with McCarron off suspension, what happens here? The good thing about this, the silver lining is these guys are making it very difficult for John Hines and general manager David Poyle to make decisions. And that's what you want is them to have hard decisions to make hard decisions to where hopefully they make the right ones, which is keeping a lot of these guys in and then only taking them out when they need to be brought out. Like when they make a mistake or have a bad game. Yeah. Take them out for a game, put somebody else in and then you can rotate them back in, but there's no reason to make overall changes to this lineup because they're, they're vibing. <laughs> they're vibing and doing great things and they're playing the right kind of hockey. Uh, they're getting quality wins as well. And I mean, mm-hmm. the next five games are very pivotal in terms of the standings because two against Carolina split that would be great. Carolina is also playing for position to try to get that number one overall seed. And then Chicago three straight games against Chicago coming up, which is going to be a tremendous swing in the standings, depending on how that That's goes. Huge. Yeah. Huge. If you can get two of those three or just half the points, then you continue mm-hmm. to control your destiny. And that's what it's about right now. The National Predators are in a position to continue to control their own destiny. Because even if Dallas wins all their games in hand, and they're without Ben Bishop and Rattle for the rest of the season now, but if they win all their games in hand, they still don't catch up. If Chicago wins their game in hand, they, they don't catch up. Nashville has enough of a lead on the teams behind them that they control their own destiny, meaning those three games against Chicago are going to be extremely, extremely important. 
All right. Up next, we have public address announcer Wade Minter of the Carolina Hurricanes joining us next here on Penalty Box Radio. We're going to talk with him just about the Hurricanes in general, what it's been like for him adapting to being a PA announcer during the pandemic and everything. So looking forward to have him. He's a great dude. Make sure you're following him on Twitter uh, at Minter. He's, he's fantastic. So we're going to talk with him up next here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and excited to have our next guest on. He's been on before and glad to have him uh, on the show. We have Wade Minter, the PA announcer for the Carolina Hurricanes. Always just fantastic to have him on because, one, he keeps it real. He's always fun to talk to, and he loves entertaining his fans and followers on Twitter and keeping them highly engaged. So if you do not follow him at Minter on Twitter, you've got to make sure you do that because he's just a fun follow as any hockey fan in general. So, Wade, welcome back. Back to the show man thanks for having me back it's been a minute absolutely so i mean this season has been obviously unique and different but especially for you as as someone that works with the team and as a part of in-game entertainment what's the adaptation process been like for you in terms of still being able to do your job bring excitement to the fans of the building and those that are watching at home as well that can hear your voice what's that been like for you it's certainly been an adaptation so when the games came back in january we started off in an empty arena like a lot of clubs did I was there, but no one else was in the building. So I had to think about how does my style work for the people watching on TV? Cause that's where the entire audience was as opposed to people inside the building, which is normally who I'm playing to. So I had to adjust some things, penalty calls, goal announcements, like always thinking, how is this going to sound on TV? Then about eight or nine games into the season, they opened up some capacity. We had about 2000 fans in the building. Now we're up to about 5,000 fans in the building but it's still somewhat of a hybrid. There are enough people in there that I can feel the energy kind of play off the crowd, but I know that the bulk of the people who are in the fan base are watching at home. So uh, aside from having to move around the arena a little bit to kind of stay away from people, it's been a season of adaptation and uh, you know, it's good to be back in there. And Wade, now that the dust has settled a little bit since Monday's trade deadline, looking at Carolina's move, bringing in Yanni Hakampa, a right shot defenseman into a heavy left defensive group, also a very large body physical player, which is always a threat to opposing teams, something I know Nashville fans might be a little bit nervous about. Um, just what are your overall thoughts on this acquisition to Carolina and where do you see Yanni best fitting into that team? I think that he's going to bring a lot of physicality to the blue line. The Canes made a deal earlier in the season to add some grit to the forward group, bringing in Cedric Paquette. This is a similar sort of deal to bring in a right shot defenseman who they need, a big body, someone who's not afraid to hit people. I think he's third in the league in hits on a relatively pedestrian Anaheim team. So sad to see Hayden Fleury go, a homegrown guy, first round draft pick. I think he's very popular with the fan base. But there's a log jam in the Canes organization on defense and something had to give. We had a surplus of folks on on left shot and needed somebody on the right so that people could play their natural sides and were able to bring in a, a big body. So I think, you know, it wasn't a blockbuster trade. It certainly wasn't adding a top six forward like people were expecting, but I do think it makes the team better and gives them an added dimension. That's going to be important as you go into the playoffs. I think also people were surprised that one of the Canes three NHL caliber goaltenders didn't move. So you've got Peter Morozik, who's back from injury, James Reimer and Alex Nedeljkovic, all of whom have good records, playing really well. It's challenging to rotate three goalies around. I think a lot of the fan base was expecting a move there. But now you're protected in terms of injury. You have to carry three goalies on your roster anyway in the NHL this year. 
and the Canes now have three NHL goalies. So a good problem to have, but I think a surprising lack of a move there. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of what I was going to thinking about what I was going to ask you next, kind of continuing on that trade deadline. Do you feel like overall, obviously there were expectations that something else might happen, but do you feel like overall Carolina did make the appropriate move that they needed to make? Like we said, they balanced out um, the left-handed defenseman with the right. Do you feel like maybe that was all that they really needed to do at the end of the day? I think a lot of that hinges on what happens with Tavo Teravainen, who's been out for the bulk of the year. He's really the straw that stirs the drink as far as playmaking goes. Uh, generally, you see him playing with Sebastian Ajo. He's been out with COVID and post-concussion syndrome. And I think that is kind of the biggest question mark. If you're confident that you're going to get a Tavo Teravainen back at 100% this year, then there's your kind of addition to your forward group that you haven't had for most of the season. If it continues to linger and if he can't come back, then I think you're going to look back at the end of the season and wonder if you should have made a move today for that top six forward who can take Tavo Teravainen's place. So I think that probably went into the GM's thought process in terms of do we make a pickup up front or do we hope that we get Tavo Teravainen back uh, soon? And, you know, you're not really going to know if that was a good move or not until later on in the season. Ian, join us right now is Wade Minter, the PA announcer for the Carolina Hurricanes and all around just really cool dude. Uh, join us here on Penalty Box Radio. So, Wade, looking at the standings and then let the schedule ahead for Carolina. I mean, it's a really unique position Carolina's in. They're tied at 58 points with Tampa and Florida, but they're in the best position possible to be in because they have games in hand on both of those teams. So obviously it makes all these games important against the Predators, who's also battling for playoffs. But the week next week for Carolina, they face Tampa and Florida. So those are all pivotal games. We knew it was going to be like this coming down to it. Uh, but the way these games are all playing out, are Carolina fans feeling a little bit of that butt clenching time right now in terms of any nervousness? Because all these teams are very, very good, very much so much speed and everything. What's their overall view right now in Carolina? There's obviously confidence, but in knowing what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. After going through a decade of no playoffs ending a couple years ago, I think the fan base has kind of been conditioned to, you know, worry about the worst, even when things are going really well. I mean, you, you look at it, Carolina's third overall in points percentage tied with Vegas, um, near lock for the playoffs. But, you know, I think a lot of those old habits still creep in. So you lose two games to Detroit, bottom of the barrel in the C Discover Central division. And the fan base is like, oh, God, we're terrible. Well, we're not. You know, it's not a couple of great games. Detroit's had our number this year. But we've played well against Florida. We've played okay against Tampa. Uh, had a really strong record against Nashville. So those teams that are battling for those four playoff spots, you take Tampa out and you've got a pretty good record. You know, why Detroit is our kryptonite this year, nobody knows. But I think that the Canes fans are – still kind of coming to grips with how good this team is and being able to see the talent that they've put out on the ice. Uh, General manager, Don Waddell, assistant GM, Eric Tulski have taken the last few years and assembled an extremely strong lineup. Rod Brindamore, I think is, you know, overlooked for coach of the year honors, given what he had to work with and where he's brought the team. And it's for a lot of times it really just doesn't feel like reality set in like, yeah, this is a cup contending team here in Raleigh. And, you know, you, you should believe in it because uh, for so long the hopes got up and they were dashed. And I think people have a, a little bit of trepidation really buying in. You no, know, yeah, it's a 
all those bunch of jerks over there, man. It's <laughs> bunch of jerks. I swear. Bunch of, bunch of jerks. I swear. And that really just seems it was one of those trigger points to just really reinvigorate the fan base and even the players and everything too. And it's been it's been exciting to see. I mean, just for hockey in the South, it's been really exciting to see what Carolina is doing, uh, and and to see the team is built for speed. And you see the evolution, the next step in the evolution of the NHL that Carolina is so much high skill and speed. They're such a fast team to play, and that's why Nashville's had trouble in the past, especially early in the season, had trouble with Carolina. So looking at the overall roster, uh, obviously plenty of talent. Are there any players that have stood out to you that have had just a, a huge bump this season that have really come to perform that's been kind of a surprise that they've over-exceeded expectations? I think everyone's very surprised and excited by Jordan Stahl's career renaissance. He's the captain. He's the guy you put out there for a defensive face-off in big game situations. He gets the toughest matchups. And I think when he came to Carolina years ago, there was an expectation that, he, that he'd be scoring a lot, like he'd be an offensive threat. And he's kind of, as he's grown, evolved into more of your, you know, shut down defensive forward. But he's got 11, 12 goals on the season right now. He's finishing. And that, I think, is a really good compliment to the fact that he's still out there in the toughest face-offs. He's still playing against the best players. And now he's showing up on the, the positive side of the score sheet as well. So as we've celebrated a thousand games of Jordan Stahl's career, the last game, I think that if you're going to look at a breakout player or someone who's exceeding expectations, especially on the offensive side, Jordan Stahl is having a career year and one of the reasons the Canes are where they are. And it's always kind of cool to hear that story, especially of a veteran like that, being able to have such a resurgence and be a part of the exciting times that this team is experiencing because they are young. But to have a veteran like that, being able to contribute that much is really cool to look at. So way before we have to, to close, what is the most exciting part of your job? Because I know public address announcing as in professional sports, but especially in hockey and the way you've just built a great rapport with the Carolina Hurricanes fan base. What's the most exciting part of the job for you? I know it's a loaded question because probably plenty of things, but what stands out to you about why you just really enjoy what you do? It's really just finding things that resonate with the fan base because every fan base is unique. I mean, y'all have got a gem over there with, with Paul and kind of how he's become part of the culture from the very beginning in Nashville. I'm certainly not at that level, but being able to read and respond to crowds to be able to come up with things that resonate. And, you know, people sending me videos of the, the audience with people saying the names like I say them or saying things along with me, you know, in a non-COVID year when you're kind of stuck in the stuck in the box and all you hear is a little bit of a dull roar. It's sometimes tough to know, are, you know, are people listening? Are they paying attention? Am I really just kind of background noise? And to see people kind of mimicking you and, and finding your catchphrases and making them part of their fandom, I think is extremely rewarding. They're listening. They like me. <laughs> well, Wade, as always, we appreciate you joining us and just giving your, your insight on this team. And it's going to be some fun matchups coming forward. And whatever happens, just excited to see what Carolina can do because they're, they're an exciting and very fun team to watch right now. I think one of the best things to come out of COVID is this central division. We're playing great teams, rivals that you know we should have and never had because of the previous divisional alignment. Um, and my hope is that uh, once everyone gets their shots and that outdoor game in Raleigh back on, that it's Canes Preds at Carter Finley for uh, oh. Battle of Southern Supremacy. Oh, that'd be awesome. That would be fantastic. That, that would be just phenomenal. Well, Wade, thanks so much again for joining us. We appreciate it, man. Thank you. 
Big thanks to Wade Minter, public address announcer for the Carolina Hurricanes. Join us here on Penalty Box Ready. Follow him on Twitter at Minter. Uh, great fun follow. Always interacts with the fans and does even his own PA calls on goals from his house when the Carolina Hurricanes are away. All right, up next, we're going to have James O'Brien from Pro Hockey Talk joining us here on Penalty Box Radio to talk about the trade deadline. Then before we go, any trades just overall surprise you that stood out to you maybe you weren't expecting? Um, I mean, I honestly, I, as much as we've talked about the Nashville Predators um, and what we thought they should do, um, I honestly felt very comfortable with the lack of, of activity going on in Nashville. Um, I think that I, I'm such a person that I lead with my heart and I really saw <laughs> David Poyle leading with his heart and that might come back and bite him and it might come back and bite me too, but I I think there was a part of me that felt very conservative the day of right on Monday. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, maybe I don't want him to do things like I was, I was like, Oh, you need to sell, you need to do this. Um, and maybe that would have worked out, you know, maybe it would have freed up that spot um, for somebody to come back in the lineup after injury. But I honestly, I felt kind of comfortable. I really did. All right. All right. Well, let's, let's hear about the rest of the league and get his thoughts uh, on the, what the natural predators did with James O'Brien up next penalty box here to ESPN one two five the game. And welcome back to Penalty Boxer to here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And now let's talk a little about the league in general and the trade deadline and moves that happened and maybe didn't happen overall. And we're bringing in James O'Brien uh, from NBC Sports Pro Hockey Talk. Also the birthday boy, James O'Brien. So thanks for joining <laughs> us, James. Thank you for having me. So this, we knew this is going to be a, a unique trade deadline, uh, just given the cap situation and quarantine periods and everything of that sort. And we saw a lot of moves made just before the deadline, even some late night moves on Sunday before the trade deadline. Just what were your expectations going into this trade deadline? And did anything surprise you overall in general about how some of these teams reacted to it? My expectations were pretty low, like you said, because of the flat cap um, and you know, there were a lot of rumblings about how teams tend to complain about how hard it is to make a trade, and then they always seem to do it, the ones that want to. Um, so, you know, I was – the Anthony Mantha trade was definitely um, that sort of spicy trade you just don't see that often, especially at the deadline with all those moving parts. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest effect was probably diminishing Taylor Hall's value, you know, just – how little he went for even on a, a terrible season on a terrible Sabres team. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, if my expectations were higher, this would have been a bad trade deadline, but because I thought almost nothing was going to happen, it, it was actually pretty good. Okay. So it's safe to say that there wasn't like a lack of a move from a team that, that shocked you, right? Oh, there were certainly teams <laughs> should have done something. <laughs> One of them located in the general Tennessee area, I believe. Uh -huh. But um, yeah, um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest losers was the Anaheim Ducks. They technically made a couple moves, but I mean, this team is is in a terrible state and they actually have room to improve. So for them to do nothing, I mean, it, I think it just speaks to Bob Murray just being asleep at the wheel. Um, in, in the Predators case, I will get to that, I'm sure, but I, I understand some of their lack of moves, but maybe not as, as much others. And I want to dig in just a little bit deeper. You mentioned Taylor Hall. I mean, obviously there was a huge buzz about him and when is there not, right? Um, but 
it was all about where he was going to land and what that trade was going to look like. So what are your thoughts as far as what the Sabres gained in return from him? Well, yeah, they were really, I mean, to see, you know, I like Nick Foligno. I like David Savard. But to see both of those players net first-round picks plus is pretty shocking. And to see Taylor, I, I think it just shows how much recency bias uh, plays into what GMs like there's just a group thing that under underestimated Taylor Hall to such an extreme extent. It was really shocking to see just how much teams value, you know, a defensive guy like Nick Felino, who is excellent at that. And it's the same with David Savard, but Taylor Hall really isn't that far removed from winning a hard trophy. And he, he's not in that upper crust of players, but I mean, you look at the Boston Bruins, if he gives them second line scoring, uh, they have a chance to, as kind of wonky as they've been this season, to go. I mean, they could win a Stanley Cup with that combination. So, um, you know, the no trade clause didn't help the Sabres, but I feel bad for them because, you know, the signing was smart to only get him for one year. And if it took giving him a no trade clause, then so be it. It, it does feel a little bit like the Sabres are cursed. And that's very sad. And Taylor Hall feels a little cursed too. So I hope if nothing else, he, he gets to show that he's still a very good player. Um, I'm also quite fascinated to imagine what kind of contract is he going to get this off season? I have no idea what kind of years you get, what kind of money he's going to garner. It's, you know, this is a huge few months for Taylor Hall. And it seems like it's going to be just a, a huge off season in general for Buffalo, because I know the NHL put it out, put out the tweet of name the best rivalry. And I've seen a bunch of them like Buffalo versus Buffalo fans. Uh, <laughs> it's been a big rivalry. Well, this situation in Buffalo, because it's one of those things that fan base had to endure so much to where they've had potential and brought in so many good draft picks. And then obviously losing Jack Eichel now for the rest of the season too. It just doesn't help everything. What needs to change in Buffalo for this team to be competitive? I know that's an absolutely loaded question, <laughs> uh, but is there any, are there any little steps that could be done to where this team can at least be competitive to give them that fan base some hope? Yeah. If there's any team that could see, I think um, it was Micah Blake McCurdy who tweeted, just spit, uh, pay me a million dollars to tell you no. I, I think a team like the Sabres, if they got an analytics centered department, since they're bare bones, I mean, I think, the number was Kevin Adams fired something like, or not Kevin Adams, but Kevin Adams as a, a middleman um, fired something like 20 staff members when he took over as GM. They don't have a lot in that front office. And if you're trying to rebuild, you want to make the most of every move you make, especially since they're probably on a bit of a budget. So if, if I were running things with the Sabres, I, I would just want to focus on, on getting that front office straight that they you know, they've, they've failed developing players. Mm -hmm. They've failed targeting the right draft picks. So, you know, if, if you're not rebuilding properly, you're just going to be rebuilding forever. And that's why I'm kind of on the fence about trading Jack Eichel. He's not that old. Uh, you're not going to get good value for him. Keep him. Hope that you can turn around in the next, what, three years? That is an incredible mess. But I will say this. If I were an aspiring GM, and I know Kevin Adams has actually done an okay job, um, but if I wanted, you know, the ego stroke, imagine being the person who turns around the Buffalo Sabres. You know? 
Yeah. You look at some of the teams over the years, like the Blackhawks before Kane and Taves, they were dire. They were terrible. Um, the Penguins, when um, Dick Tarnstrom was leading them in scoring, they were a terrible team. So it's not impossible. You just need to not snap at every bad thing that happens. But there's been a lot of bad luck with the Sabres, too. I, I think it's it's they're not as foolish always as they might seem, but they're incredibly unlucky. And um, it's it's a shame because, like, like you said, those Sabres fans, when you look at ratings – for games that don't involve the Sabres, they're often in the top five. Like, that just doesn't happen in a very regional NHL. Yeah, the, the, a hockey market indeed. And and again, James O'Brien, NBC Sports for Hockey Talk, joining us now to talk NHL and NHL trade deadline. And James, let's look at Nashville. I mean, you touched on it briefly, but they were in that unique position because before their big road trip in middle of March, they entered that road trip losing three games awfully to the top three teams of the division everyone's on sell mode I was on sell mode everyone's talking about sell they started winning some games looking more competitive with their youth in there and still even though they had a lot of these one-year contracts they could have at least traded off for some assets to continue to grow for their future bringing in Eric Goodbranson definitely a, a depth move for this team and they obviously didn't give up much a seventh in 2023 and uh, Brandon Fortunato it is there anything else? I mean, David Poole seemed pretty confident as well. Do you think that trading in Eric Halla or um, Mikhail Glanlin could have been something that they could have obviously done? Or was there, there's obviously a market for Granlund, but for a guy like Eric Halla that maybe could have gotten a six or something, do you really think that David Poole was fielding many phone calls leading into that, knowing that the Predators are performing much better overall? No, I don't think Halla um, really would have been worth it. Not that he brings much, but um... – <laughs> Yeah, Granlin's a fascinating case. I wonder if, you know, I don't know the top end of what they were getting in offers, but he's another guy that, you know, the the Predators are in such an odd spot. I actually found Ekholm to be maybe the most fascinating question Mm -hmm. because, again, he does have a year left. But I think one of the toughest questions is, like, what would actually be a satisfying return that's actually realistic for Matthias Ekholm? And I don't know if the Predators were going to get that. Um, so, you know, they're, they're in a really strange spot. And I, I think that, um, like you said, those expiring contracts would have made more sense. Um, I think theoretically you're probably going to get crushed in a first round series, <laughs> um, no matter who they who ends up at the top of the central. Um, so like how much is that worth over keeping a Grandland? That's where I would have, I think made a move. And I also find the good Branson addition a little puzzling because if they had, you know, I, I know they didn't move much in draft um, draft assets, but I feel like if you had a little bit of cap, even just a little bit of cap space wiggle room, there was some value there on the market. And, you know, good, the, with good Branson, you're kind of hoping he doesn't become a big deal. He's a player you want on the bottom pairing. And you just never know with NHL coaches, the, that type of like big, hard-hitting, handsome, right-handed defenseman. Those are the kind of guys that coaches fall in love with, and then you're seeing the Branson out there for 20 minutes just getting shredded. So, you know, that's the problem with an addition like that. I, I feel like certain coaches, you have to keep those bad habits away from them. That, that would be something I'd kind of worry about on the periphery. But I'll say that, like, the Predators, they're just not – they don't slap you in the face with, like, a, a lot of must-do moves that they didn't make. It's more in the middle, and that's unfortunately where I think that franchise is for a while. Like, if you clean house, you still have Roman Yossi 
on for for a bunch of term and his contract's fair but it's a you know he's getting older Matt Duchesne the same he's he's at or around 30 now at least 28 so it's like you know you, you can't really do a full rebuild but they could have maybe uh, echoed the Sharks of many years ago trading Ryan Klo and Douglas Murray still making the playoffs making a bit of a push and kind of extending their window that would have been the dream but that market just might not have been there this year. So I wouldn't be upset if I was a Predators fan. I'd be a little irritated maybe about keeping Granlin when, I mean, what's the, what's the end game there? I don't think they'd bring him back next year. They have to pay Ellie Tolvanen and UC Saros, even as RFAs. You know, that's one where, um, you know, I wonder about David Hoyle's future. What, what, what uh, you know, is, is he not making these moves because he's, feeling almost certain that he's on the way out. I think that's a factor too. Uh, they're a really complicated team. Um, and it, they are also a great testament to how strange the schedule is this season. I mean, you hit a patch of bad teams, you rebuild your confidence right after the lightning <laughs> crush your soul, you know, it's, it's been a really strange year. So I, I don't, I don't look like I give the predators like a C, not an F, if that makes sense. No, it, it absolutely does, and it's one of those things I think a lot of fans were, more than anything else, meh, just a, oh, okay, really? Oh, okay, sure, whatever, and because they know that the Predators are in that sticky situation. I think the great point you made, too, is some of those coaches getting addicted to those big, hard-nosed guys and giving them a lot of minutes. I think a lot of Predators fans can be shaking their head of like, yep, I know exactly what that's been like. Uh, so, so James, uh, we, we do appreciate your insight and appreciate you joining us here and just giving your thoughts on the overall NHL trade deadline. And, uh, hey, man, have a happy birthday and hope you have a good rest of your night. Thank you. All right, James O'Brien from NBC Sports Pro Hockey Talk. You can follow him on Twitter at Cycle Like Sedines. Boy, that, his handle's been around for a long time. I've always loved that name. Yeah, I've loved it. <laughs> uh, but great insight there. He has a lot of good articles. If you go to NBC Sports Pro Hockey Talk, just a lot of good things, just breaking down the NHL trade deadline. Uh, it's been uh, it's been weird. I mean, the one thing I wanted to get to was Toronto going all in, Glenn, because uh, Toronto def definitely went all in. I know our friend Matt Best. Uh, who does Locked On with me and as well as PBR, uh, he's just, I'm sure, a little giddy with what Toronto's done. <laughs> like a little kid at Christmas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, I mean, Toronto's definitely all in. Their window's wide open, and there's an opportunity to make them. I mean, you win your division through the playoffs, and you're in the semifinal. And that's that's huge for Toronto yeah. right there, especially because it's been so long since the a Canadian team's won and a that, cup. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that fan base, I mean, they were just chomping at the bit for that day to come, so... And it's, it's guaranteed that a Canadian team will be in the semifinal. Guaranteed. So it's going to make it interesting there, too, that the, the chance, the 25% chance once you get there of a Canadian team winning. And then Toronto been forever since they've won as well. But anyways, big thanks to James O'Brien for joining us. I uh, really appreciate his insight there. So up next, we have plenty of questions regarding Philip Tomasino, the lineup once people get healthy, uh, Tanner Janot and Matthew Olivier. All those questions up next. We're going to address those here on Penalty Box Reader, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And apparently, Glenn needs to blame me for something because she apparently said a name incorrectly in the first segment. And I didn't call her on it because I was just letting her go. Okay, yeah. So I don't want to like blame you 100% because it came out of my mouth. But I don't know if y'all understand. Like normally, Justin is sitting next to me. And today he's staring me in the face, right? So when I was listing off all the players that scored in the game against Tampa Bay last night, 
I I know, and y'all have heard me on this show for long enough, Mikael Grenland, I know that's his name. I know how to say it. I don't really roll the R's like Justin does, but I'm, I do know his name. I respect that's his name. I know how to say it. But y'all don't understand when Justin is like the name king and he's staring at me and I kept telling myself, I'm like, just don't butcher Grandlin's name. Don't do it. And I get there and my Mississippi comes out and I'm like, Michael Grandlin. <laughs> so I blame it on Justin. So I do know that's his name. It's your fault because you put a lot of stress on me and everybody else. So I wasn't even like <laughs> I wasn't even making eye you. contact in the camera. I know, either. but I'm looking at I'm looking at you in the camera when I'm talking. But anyway, okay. So don't come at me for mispronouncing his name. I know I did it, and I didn't want to just go off on this whole tangent last segment. So anyway, uh, us go off in tangents never. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's go ahead and get to our questions. We had a, a few come in here. A few come in about. Mm-hmm. The same topics as well. So this one came from Peyton as well as from Robert. Basically, does Tanner Janot replace Olivier on the fourth line? So here's my thought. Olivier is going to be out, I think is what said, three to five weeks. That's pretty much the rest of regular season. Mm-hmm. Unless something happens, I think that's Tanner Janot's spot right now. Uh, Tanner Janot, with his offensive upside, I think could play third line as well, that he has the offensive upside as a power forward that he could fit in well. He's not slow either, and that obviously helps. In, in any case, wherever he's going to play. Uh, I don't think there's any replacement. I think it's one of those things that he's the next one up and is playing his role and playing it very well. Matthew Olivier obviously has a, a role with this team too. I think this could be a spot where Olivier, has, his upside is pretty much cemented as a fourth liner. There's nothing wrong with that. He plays his role and he plays it very well. Energy mm-hmm. has a little bit of offense that he can contribute, but he's definitely an energy type of guy and that is absolutely 100% okay. I think Tanner Geno has a little bit higher ceiling in terms of he could play a third line role. Um, be a power forward. Uh, so therefore, I don't think there's a replacement there. I think that right now he's just in that spot because Olivia is going to be out for at least a couple more weeks. Yep. I totally agree with you, Justin. Um, I mean, I think that with Olivier, I mean, you know, you know what you're getting with Olivier. You are getting a fourth line player in there. And I don't say that in a negative way. We all need fourth line players as a reason why they're there. Um, but I do think that Janot is in that spot, obviously, because that's where he's slotted in right now. But just to, you know, agree with what you said. I could easily see him if the third line gets configured around landing himself there as well. All right. Then I'll pose Lots this of scenarios <laughs> and I'll pose this one to you. So I don't steal any of your answers to kind of go back and forth here from Stony Rhino and also Jack Woods, basically wondering, uh, should they get ready for the playoff run? And then Jack asked what the heck happened to the predators? Just what overall has changed? Jack. Glenn? <laughs> yeah. Jack, what happened to them is they're vibing now. Haven't you heard? <laughs> they are vibing. And I don't, think okay I don't think that they're vibing too early um I think that they're getting hot at the right time because as far as getting themselves into the playoffs you want to get hot now when you're on this run to try to secure that spot right but as we all know I mean as soon as the playoff starts everybody's starting from a clean slate so I think history shows that teams can still start the playoffs hot Um, And so I honestly think that right now is a great time to be vibing um, because it's pushing them further along into that spot. And then when you get to the playoffs, you just start from there. Everybody's starting from the same line. Yeah, I, I think. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you could tell something just changed. Something clicked and something changed. Mm-hmm. And these players have all gone back to that road trip. 
players, uh, general manager, coach, they've all come back to that road trip. Something just finally clicked for them. It clicked in a place of, oh, we get it. This is what we should be doing. This is how we should be trusting each other. This is the confidence we should have. No matter what's happening, this is how we should be playing. And it just changed. All of a sudden, goaltender got better too. I mean, Yusuf Saros, had he been playing anywhere near what he's been doing lately, he'd be a Vezina candidate. I mean, there's just no yeah. doubt about yeah. that. Even with his injury, he'd be Vezina candidate if he'd just been playing even just a little bit worse than what he's doing right now. Just just close to yeah. what he's doing right now. He would have been Vezina candidate. Roman Yossi, I mean, without his injury, uh, what he's doing right now, he's playing Norris caliber style hockey right now. He's obviously not going to be a candidate, but he's playing mm-hmm. in terms of the expectations right now. They've all, they've turned it on. Ryan Johansson, you're starting to see images of playoff Ryan Johansson. Right now, Victor Arvidsson, it's looking like a Victor Arvidsson of old. I mean, look at, he's finally putting the puck in the net. He's not just taking mm-hmm. slappers from the faceoff dot right into the chest of the goaltender. He's actually driving towards the net way more now, utilizing his speed to try to get him a little more creative. You're seeing creativity, you're seeing drive to the net, you're seeing traffic in front of the net. It's not all point shots. They're going to, to the home zone in front of the goalie. All those things are strategy change, and I think it's because it started clicking for them in terms of system they're running. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of credit can go to John Hines uh, for that and the coaching staff. I mean, it, it takes a coaching staff to be able to do a lot of those things right now. I know there's a question coming up about that that we'll address as well. Uh, also, big credit to Carl Taylor with Milwaukee Admirals as well as to the Chicago Wolves for continuing the, the process of getting these guys ready to come in to make the show. I mean, it takes, it, it takes a whole yeah. team, a uh, community of this organization to be able to do that and make it happen. Yep. I'll go back to, to what I said last week. I, honestly, there's, there's a, a mentality change. Um, and there is that, that push. I think that like we talked about last week, the youth just, they provided something to this team. There's a jolt. And I think that with that too, can always come healthy competition. And so when you're being better, people around you are better. And then on top of that, to have a mindset change, and to have that adaptation of that system, I think all at the same time, it just started to really work out well for them. It did. Okay. This one comes from Nashville Rain. When everyone is healthy, what are the projected lines? That is a fully loaded Ugh. question. <laughs> uh, so let's start out with defense first. <laughs> that might be actually easier here. So obviously you have Yossi Ellis, you'll have Ekholm Fabro, and then the questions come in uh, with Carrier when he gets healthy, something like that. So Mm-hmm. One, I, I know Ben Harper has been okay, but I'd prefer not to see Ben Harper in this lineup uh, overall. I want Alex Carrier in there, yeah. and I'd love to see Jeremy Davies. Uh, I don't think that's what the Predators will go with. Yeah. I'm just giving my projected. I'm so projected lineup would be Carrier and probably Benning, is is what I would think. Mm-hmm. I'd prefer still Benning in there over Harper, uh, and then who knows with Mark Borvietsky? I just I don't see him getting in overall. Uh, unless he's fully healthy, but he's been in and out when it comes to that. So that's defense. Any changes there yeah. for you, Glenn? No, no I second that. Um, we've talked about Carrier quite a bit. We've talked about how we want to see more opportunity for Jeremy Davies. So I agree with you on that. All right. Now forwards, that one gets tricky. It's so tricky. <laughs> so top line, Johansson, Forsberg, Tolvanen. I think that one is one of those yeah. set ones when Tolvanen's healthy, ready to go. Then you start getting some mm-hmm. questionable things here, but you have uh, Mikhail Glenlin. Mikhail, not Michael. Uh, Glenland, uh, centering the second line with Arvidsson and Cunning. That seems fair. Then we get into the real nitty gritty here. When Duchesne's healthy, where does Duchesne fit in? I would prefer to see Duchesne on the third line. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that means uh, probably Arakala would be sitting or moved to wing. Uh, then you also have words Rockwood Grimaldi go, Cali Yarncroke, and Cali Yarncroke have only been getting way more playing time because of injuries. I mean, they're not on the power play. Yarncroke's played on the power play plenty, but Grimaldi getting power play yeah. time, he's he's getting plenty of power play time. He's also been playing with the first line at times too. Uh, and then, can, yeah, yeah, go I ahead. See them any, I can see them around Duchesne. I mean, Yarncroke, the great thing about Cali Yarncroke is he can, you can place him anywhere and he's going to still play his game. Exactly. So, and, Ugh, and yeah. then that bottom line, I mean, Hollow overall, I give him credit, has been playing well. <laughs> it's a free too. I mean, and he's one of the ones I wanted to trade because you could have gotten a fifth or a sixth for him. But it's going to be difficult to take him out because he's been playing well overall, too. Plus, you have the fourth line with energy. I don't want to see Duchesne out there for an energy line or this assistance because he's playing that game really, really well uh, out there with uh, with Trennan. And right now, I would put Genoa in over Olivier. I know that might be brutal, but I think the physic, the controlled physicality has been good. I, I love Matthew Olivier's game as well, but I think with the way the season's going, you're going to see rotation no matter what, because there's going to be little injuries of guys getting scuffed up in battle, and it's just going to happen. So yeah. the, the roster's never going to be fully I, healthy. No, and I think it's really hard to see um, Tanner Janot, the way that we're seeing him right now, and to have a hypothetical lineup where you pull him out. Like it just, that just doesn't make sense to me right now. Um, you can love Olivier's game, um, but watching Tanner Janot right now, you can't help but be really excited about the game that he's bringing. And you, you want to see him in there right now. I know I do. Absolutely. Okay. As most people know, Philip Tomasino called to the taxi squad from Chicago uh, today. So now that means, does that mean he's going to play? I, this, this is multiple people asked this question. I mean, it was uh, Dennis and Papa Pierogi. Uh, it's not Papa Pierogi. Uh, let's see who else asked this. Oh, yeah, Papa Pierogi asked it because he had two questions in there. So, Tomasino, I can't imagine the Predators calling him up without having a plan to get him into a game or two. I just because yeah. he's doing well in Chicago and it's good for him to continue to get playing time. You don't bring up a guy like that just to sit on the bench and to practice. You play, you, you bring him up to get a look at him when he's ready. That's, that's a big thing yeah. for me. I mean, when, yeah. Yeah. When he's playing so well, you would, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where they would take him off the ice there just to have him sit in Nashville. Like, I just, I don't, I just don't imagine that to be the case. So I definitely think that we'll see it now that he's, now that he's been assigned to the squad. So yeah. That's so exciting too, I'd like to way. see, yeah, I'd love to see that happen. <laughs> and last question real quick. Uh, this came in a little late. Is there is time to start thinking if this team does make a run to make the playoffs? Does John Hines get consideration for the Jack Adams? Uh, that's going to be um, d- difficult. I Go ahead, it's Glenn. Gonna be, well, yeah, I just think it's going to be difficult when you look at some other teams around the league. Um, I think maybe if we're looking just at Nashville and it's like, wow, this is this is huge. But I think there's a case to be made for multiple coaches around the league that I think that that might, you know take precedence over John High. I don't know. I don't know. It, yeah, I mean, it, I, he could be in the conversation, but I don't know that that's like a really likely scenario. Yeah, at and, least in my opinion. And these awards are voted on for the playoffs. And they're voted at the end of the regular season. It, mm-hmm. If, for instance, this team makes a run, I cannot see it happening just because of the way the division set up. Then it's be like, then you'd have in hindsight, be like, wow, maybe he should have. Uh, either hindsight. way. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it does make one of those questions vi- a viable question because if this team, with the way they started their season off overall in January, February, and they're able to turn around and make the playoffs, that's a lot to to to, 
to be proud of as well, just as this team. And it gives them confidence going into the next season as well of what they possibly do. Okay. We've got to run. If you missed anything, penaltyboxradio.com. Uh, plenty of podcasts on there for you to enjoy from fantasy hockey to natural predators to lifestyle and things like that. We have everything you need on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you will get your podcasts. So thanks so much for producer Kenny and Glenn. This is Justin Bradford. Thanks so much for tuning in Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.